0: Chapter Fifteen of Wuthering Heights. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larissa Jaworski, Brisbane, Australia. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Chapter Fifteen. Another week over, and I am so many days nearer health, and spring. I have now heard all my neighbour's history, at different sittings, as the housekeeper could spare time from more important occupations. I'll continue it in her own words. Only a little condensed. She is, on the whole, a very fair narrator, and I don't think I could improve her style. In the evening, she said, the evening of my visit to the Heights, I knew, as well as if I saw him, that Mr Heathcliff was about the place; and I shunned going out, because I still carried his letter in my pocket, and I didn't want to be threatened or teased any more. I had made up my mind not to give it till my master went somewhere, as I could not guess how its receipt would affect Catherine. The consequence was that it did not reach her before the lapse of three days. The fourth was a Sunday, and I brought it to her room after the family were gone to church. There was a man-servant left to keep the house with me, and we generally made a practice of locking the doors during the hours of the service. But on that occasion the weather was so warm and pleasant that I set them wide open, and, to fulfil my engagement as I knew who would be coming, I told my companion that the mistress wished— very much for some oranges, and he must run over to the village and get a few, to be paid for on the morrow. He departed, and I went upstairs. Mrs. Linton sat in a loose white dress, with a light shawl over her shoulders in the recess of the open window, as usual. Her thick, long hair had been partly removed at the beginning of her illness, and now she wore it simply combed in its natural tresses over her temples and neck. Her appearance was altered, as I had told Heathcliff, but when she was calm there seemed unearthly beauty in the change. The flash of her eyes had been succeeded by a dreamy and melancholy softness. They no longer gave the impression of looking at objects around her. They appeared always to gaze beyond, and far beyond. You would have said out of this world. Then the paleness of her face— its haggard aspect having vanished as she recovered flesh, and the peculiar expression arising from her mental state, though painfully suggestive of their causes, added to the touching interest which she awakened, and, invariably to me, I know, and to any person who saw her, I should think, refuted more tangible proofs of convalescence, and stamped her as one doomed to decay, A book lay spread on the sill before her, and the scarcely perceptible wind fluttered its leaves at intervals. I believe Linton had laid it there, for she never endeavoured to divert herself with reading or occupation of any kind, and he would spend many an hour in trying to entice her attention to some subject which had formerly been her amusement. She was conscious of his aim, and in her better moods endured his efforts placidly, only showing their uselessness by now and then suppressing a wearied sigh, and checking him at last with the saddest of smiles and kisses. At other times she would turn petulantly away, and hide her face in her hands, or even push him off angrily, and then he took care to let her alone, for he was certain of doing no good. Gimmerton Chapel bells were still ringing, and the full mellow flow of the beck in the valley came soothingly on the ear. It was a sweet substitute for the yet absent murmur of the summer foliage, which drowned that music about the grange when the trees were in leaf. At Wuthering Heights it always sounded on quiet days following a great thaw, or a season of steady rain. And of Wuthering Heights Catherine was thinking as she listened, that is, if she thought or listened at all, "'but she had the vague, distant look I mentioned before, "'which expressed no recognition of material things "'either by ear or by eye. "'There's a letter to you, Mrs. Linton,' I said, "'gently inserting it in one hand that rested on her knee. "'You must read it immediately, because it wants an answer. "'Shall I break the seal?' "'Yes,' she answered, without altering the direction of her eyes. "'I opened it. It was very short.' "'Now,' I continued, "'read it.' She drew away her hand and let it fall. I replaced it in her lap, and stood waiting till it should please her to glance down, but that movement was so long delayed that at last I resumed. "'Must I read it, ma'am? It is from Mr. Heathcliff.' There was a start, and a troubled gleam of recollection, and a struggle to arrange her ideas.' She lifted the letter, and seemed to peruse it, and when she came to the signature she sighed. And yet I found she had not gathered its import, for upon my desiring to hear her reply, she merely pointed to the name, and gazed at me with mournful and questioning eagerness. "'Well, he wishes to see you,' said I, guessing her need of an interpreter. He's in the garden by this time, and impatient to know what answer I shall bring.' As I spoke, I observed a large dog lying on the sunny grass beneath raise its ears as if about to bark, and then smoothing them back announced by a wag of the tail that someone approached whom it did not consider a stranger. Mrs. Linton bent forward and listened breathlessly. The minute after a step traversed the hall, the open house was too tempting for Heathcliff to resist walking in, Most likely he supposed that I was inclined to shirk my promise, and so resolved to trust to his own audacity. With straining eagerness Catherine gazed towards the entrance of her chamber. He did not hit the right room directly. She motioned me to admit him, but he found it ere I could reach the door, and in a stride or two was at her side, and had her grasped in his arms.' He neither spoke nor loosed his hold for some five minutes, during which period he bestowed more kisses than he ever gave in his life before, I dare say, but then my mistress had kissed him first, and I plainly saw that he could hardly bear, for downright agony, to look into her face. The same conviction had stricken him as me. From the instant he beheld her that there was no prospect of ultimate recovery there, she was fated, sure to die. Ah, oh, Cathy!' "'Oh, my life! how can I bear it?' was the first sentence he uttered, in a tone that did not seek to disguise his despair. And now he stared at her so earnestly that I thought the very intensity of his gaze would bring tears into his eyes. But they burned with anguish. They did not melt. "'What now?' said Catherine, leaning back and returning his look with suddenly clouded brow. Her humour was a mere vein for constantly varying caprices.' you and edgar have broken my heart heathcliff and you both come to bewail the deed to me as if you were the people to be pitied i shall not pity you not i you have killed me and thriven on it i think how strong you are how many years do you mean to live after i am gone heathcliff had knelt on one knee to embrace her he attempted to rise but she seized his hair and kept him down "'I wish I could hold you,' she continued bitterly, "'till we were both dead. "'I shouldn't care what you suffered. "'I care nothing for your sufferings. "'Why shouldn't you suffer? "'I do. "'Will you forget me? "'Will you be happy when I am in the earth? "'Will you say twenty years hence?' "'That's the grave of Catherine Earnshaw. "'I loved her long ago, and was wretched to lose her, "'but it is past. "'I've loved many others since. "'My children are dearer to me than she was, "'and at death I shall not rejoice that I are going to her.' I shall be sorry that I must leave them. Will you say so, Heathcliff? Don't torture me till I'm as mad as yourself," cried he, wrenching his head free and grinding his teeth. The two, to a cool spectator, made a strange and fearful picture. Well might Catherine deem that heaven would be the land of exile to her, unless with her mortal body she cast away her mortal character also. Her present countenance had a wild vindictiveness in its white cheek and a bloodless lip and scintillating eye, and she retained in her closed fingers a portion of the locks she had been grasping. As to her companion, while raising himself with one hand, he had taken her arm with the other, and so inadequate was his stock of gentleness to the requirements of her condition, that on letting go I saw four distinct impressions left blue in the colourless skin. "'Are you possessed with the devil?' he pursued savagely to talk in that manner to me when you are dying? Do you reflect that all those words will be branded in my memory, and eating deeper eternally after you have left me? You know you lie to say I have killed you, and, Catherine, you know that I could as soon forget you as my existence. It is not sufficient for your infernal selfishness that while you are at peace I shall writhe in the torments of hell.' "'I shall not be at peace,' moaned Catherine.' recalled to a sense of physical weakness by the violent unequal throbbing of her heart, which beat visibly and audibly under this excessive agitation. She said nothing further till the paroxysm was over, and then she continued more kindly. "'I'm not wishing you greater torment than I have, Heathcliff. I only wish us never to be parted, and should a word of mine distress you hereafter, I think I feel the same distress underground, and for my own sake forgive me.' Come here and kneel down again. You never harmed me in your life. Nay, if you nurse anger, that will be worse to remember than my harsh words. Won't you come here again? Do. Heathcliff went to the back of her chair and leaned over, but not so far as to let her see his face, which was livid with emotion. She bent around to look at him. He would not permit it. Turning abruptly, he walked to the fireplace where he stood, silent, with his back towards us. Mrs. Linton's glance followed him suspiciously. Every moment woke a new sentiment in her. After a pause and a prolonged gaze, she resumed, addressing me in accents of indignant disappointment. "'Oh, you see, Nelly, he would not relent a moment to keep me out of the grave. That is how I'm loved. Well, never mind. That is not my Heathcliff. I shall love mine yet and take him with me. He's in my soul.' "'And,' added she musingly, The thing that irks me most is this shattered prison, after all. I'm tired of being enclosed here. I'm wearying to escape into that glorious world, and to be always there, not seeing it dimly through tears, and yearning for it through walls of an aching heart, but really with it, and in it. Nellie, you think you are better and more fortunate than I, in full health and strength. You are sorry for me. Very soon that will be altered. I shall be sorry for you.' "'I shall be incomparably beyond and above you all. "'I wonder he won't be near me,' she went on to herself. "'I thought he wished it. "'Heathcliff, dear, you should not be sullen now. "'Do come to me, Heathcliff.' "'In her eagerness she rose and supported herself on the arm of the chair. "'At that earnest appeal he turned to her, looking absolutely desperate. "'His eyes, wide and wet, at last flashed fiercely on her.' his breast heaved convulsively at an instant they held asunder and then how they met i hardly saw but catherine made a spring and he caught her and they were locked in an embrace from which i thought my mistress would never be released alive in fact to my eyes she seemed directly insensible he flung himself into the nearest seat and on my approaching hurriedly to ascertain if she had fainted He gnashed at me and foamed like a mad dog, and gathered her to him with greedy jealousy. I did not feel as if I were in the company of a creature of my own species. It appeared that he would not understand, though I spoke to him. So I stood off, and held my tongue with great perplexity. A movement of Catherine's relieved me a little presently. She put up her hand to clasp his neck, and bring her cheek to his as he held her. "'while he, in return, covering her with frantic caresses, said wildly, "'You teach me how cruel you've been, cruel and false. "'Why did you despise me? "'Why did you betray your own heart, Cathy? "'I have not one word of comfort. "'You deserve this. "'You have killed yourself. "'Yes, you may kiss me and cry and wring out my kisses and tears. "'They'll blight you. "'They'll damn you. "'You loved me. "'Then what right had you to leave me? "'What right? "'Answer me for the poor fancy you felt for Linton.' because misery and degradation and death and nothing that God or Satan could inflict would have parted us. You, of your own will, did it. I have not broken your heart. You have broken it, and in breaking it you have broken mine. So much the worse for me that I am strong. Do I want to live? What kind of living will it be when you— Oh God, would you like to live with your soul in the grave?' "'Let me alone, let me alone,' sobbed Catherine. "'If I've done wrong, I'm dying for it. "'It is enough. "'You left me too, but I won't abrade you. "'I forgive you. "'Forgive me.' "'It is hard to forgive and look at those eyes and feel those wasted hands,' he answered. "'Kiss me again and don't let me see your eyes. "'I forgive what you have done to me. "'I love my murderer, but yours? "'How can I?' They were silent, their faces hid against each other and washed by each other's tears. At least I suppose the weeping was on both sides, as it seemed Heathcliff would weep on a great occasion like this. I grew very uncomfortable meanwhile, for the afternoon wore fast away. The man whom I had sent off returned from his errand, and I could distinguish by the shine of the western sun up the valley a concourse thickening outside Gimmerton Chapel Porch. "'Service is over,' I announced. "'My master will be here in half an hour.' Heathcliff groaned a curse and strained Catherine closer. She never moved. Ere-long I perceived a group of the servants passing up the road toward the kitchen wing. Mr. Linton was not far behind, and he opened the gate himself and sauntered slowly up, probably enjoying the lovely afternoon that breathed the softest summer.' "'Now he is here!' I exclaimed. "'For heaven's sake, hurry down! "'You'll not meet any one on the front stairs. "'Do be quick, and stay among the trees till he is fairly in.' "'I must go, Cathy,' said Heathcliff, "'seeking to extricate himself from his companion's arms. "'But if I live, I'll see you again before you are asleep. "'I won't stray five yards from your window.' "'You must not go,' she answered, "'holding him as firmly as her strength allowed.' "'You shall not, I tell you.' "'For one hour,' he pleaded earnestly. "'Not for one minute,' she replied. "'I must. Linton will be up immediately,' persisted the alarmed intruder. He would have risen and unfixed his fingers by the act. She clung fast, gasping. There was mad resolution in her face. "'No!' she shrieked. "'Oh, don't—don't go! It's the last time! Edgar will not hurt us, Heathcliff. I shall die! I shall die!' "'Damn the fool! There he is!' cried Heathcliff, sinking back into his seat. "'Hush, my darling, hush, hush, Catherine, I'll stay. If he shot me so, I'd expire with a blessing on my lips.' And there they were fast again. I heard my master mounting the stairs. The cold sweat ran from my forehead. I was horrified.' are you going to listen to her ravings i said passionately she does not know what she says will you ruin her because she has not wit to help herself get up you could be free instantly that is the most diabolical deed that you ever did we are all done for master mistress and servant i wrung my hands and cried out and mr linton hastened his step at the noise in the midst of my agitation i was sincerely glad to observe that Catherine's arms had fallen relaxed and her head hung down She's fainted or dead, I thought, so much the better, for better that she should be dead than lingering a burden and misery-maker to all about her. Edgar sprang to his unbidden guest, blanched with astonishment and rage. What he meant to do I cannot tell, however the other stopped all demonstrations at once by placing the lifeless-looking form in his arms. "'Look there,' he said, "'unless you be a fiend, help her first, and then you shall speak to me.' He walked into the parlour and sat down. Mr. Linton summoned me, and with a great difficulty, and after resorting to many means, we managed to restore her to her sensation. But she was all bewildered, she sighed and moaned, and knew nobody. Edgar, in his anxiety for her, forgot her hated friend. I did not. I went at the earliest opportunity, and besought him to depart, affirming that Catherine was better, and he should hear from me in the morning how she passed the night.' I shall not refuse to go out of doors, he answered, but I shall stay in the garden, and, Nelly, mind you, keep your word to-morrow, I shall be under those larch-trees. Mind, or I pay another visit, whether Linton be in or not. He sent a rapid glance through the half-open door of the chamber, and, ascertaining that what I stated was apparently true, delivered the house of his luckless presence. End of chapter 15.